I hope you're strapped in and strapped on. First step in the bisexuality direction. Yep, we're definitely queer. What do you do? How do you sex? May I finger you, please? How to approach women and vulva owners as a vulva owner. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Sexistentialist. I'm Em, and today I'm joined by Ari Antwine, who is a sexologist, coach, sensual educator. I love that term. We'll get into that in a minute. And host of the Sensual podcast, among um, kind of a lot of other things, which we'll also get into. Ari, welcome. Super excited to have you. Thank you for having me, Em. I'm excited to finally be here. <laughs> Glad yeah. the universe worked in our favor to have me here. Yes, stars aligned. We are podcasting and we're excited about it. Um, So I just mentioned a handful of of the things that you do, but um, I'd love for you to kind of introduce yourself to our listeners um, in sort of the format of how you identify whatever that means to you, whether that's um, orientation, gender, or hobbies, or pet lover, whatever that looks like. Oh, perfect. I identify with so much. (laughs) (laughs) Pet lover comes to mind first because I literally cried over a puppy today. (laughs) That was not mine. (laughs) Obsessed with uh, any puppy. I love it. That's definitely one of them. Definitely a dog lover. My chihuahua is back here somewhere being quiet. Oh. He heard me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I am a sex educator. Um, I am also a black femme, queer person, and a proud bisexual. Um, that's a lot of um, my work in the sex educator space, I would say now specifically, just because I feel like there are a lot of by women and vulva owners who just don't feel like they have space to talk about that or space to explore that without feeling fetishistic about it or feeling um, kind of like they don't fit the bill of bisexuality or queerness or enough of X, Y, and Z. Um, And I'm here to just, you know, crush that mentality one person at a time. And that's also kind of like the clientele who is attracted to me in my like one-on-one coaching space. Like I just started Mm -hmm. to notice a trend. So I was like, I think this is like my lane. I think I need to help out by women and full owners like to give ourselves some grace and, you know, um, open ourselves up to it and not take, uh, sexuality so seriously you know like Mm. sexuality is an identity for me I'm sure it's a big part of your identity it doesn't have to be for other people but people treat it like that especially if you are queer or queer leaning and like your sexual behavior or intimate Mm -hmm. behavior um so yeah I think um that's that's what I'm here for at this juncture in my life that might change um I'm also I call myself a sensual educator just because everything that I do my workshops in person I teach a lot of movement classes that are sensual movement based I used to be a hip-hop and dance teacher but now I'm leaning more into my burlesque artist background so I teach striptease and burlesque 101 and that more has to do with you know sensuality and discovering your own sensual side rather than, um, you know, not so much on the sexuality, but I think sensuality and sexuality are kind of two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. So I like sensual educator just to encompass kind of everything that I do. Um, Yeah. 
Awesome. That's about it. Yeah. I love food. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> no, I'm a, yeah, foodie, foodie slash karaoke is sort of like, I don't know, it's, um, those two things are up there for me as well. In addition to, I'm also a, a scream at dogs in public type of person. I really have to keep that in check when I'm like walking <laughs> to my bus stop in the morning to commute to work. And then I'm, you know, screaming at, you know, cocker spaniels on the streets. Not exactly a, it's oh not exactly God. kosher when you live in a big city, but. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a doodle puppy that I saw today. Aww. So I opened my car door because my car wasn't on, so I couldn't roll down the window. And I just opened my car like a <laughs> maniac and was like, your puppy is really cute. <laughs> and this lady was holding this tiny puppy Aww. like, oh, thank you. And then I watched it climb up some steps and I was like tearing up in my car. <laughs> I've been wanting a second dog for a really long time. Yeah. And I'm just like, I think this is it. This is the moment. Yeah, no, I um, I have a cat, proud cat owner, rescue cat. Um, but I'm I'm generally just like a a pet person. I don't discriminate. And my partner is mm. he loves the cat, but he's very much a dog person. So we've been talking mm. about rescuing a a dog Do it. for a long time. Yeah, I just gotta you know it's a big responsibility, and I am like a anxious cat mom. So I'm like, I want Sprout. Sprout's the cat's name. Sprout to like be happy and feel loved and not think I'm replacing her with a big dog um yeah but no I mean it's a it's a you know it's a big decision but I'll get around to it eventually she'll just get a brother or sister yeah that's what I'm thinking or a baby maybe she'll just raise it for me I don't have to do anything like the puppy will be in the litter box Mm um okay awesome no but thank you for sharing um more about yourself and you covered again a ton and you as a person do so many different things and cover a ton of topics in your content and so uh one I admire that and two uh wanted to kind of deeper into some of that as well um but before we do that I want to um kind of provide the audience with a little bit about Ari that's maybe separate from your bio not anything they'd find on your website and my favorite way to do this is to have my guests provide you know like a silly or fun or whatever that you know story comes to mind um in in terms of like a sex and or dating anecdote um so if you have one or two (laughs) that you'd like to share um they can be similar or or different or or just one is fine people usually have a couple though so (laughs) yeah I'm sure I'm like going through my Rolodex of like yeah (laughs) funny to terrible experiences I'm like which way am I gonna swing yeah (laughs) there are plenty that I have several where I was like oh at the time traumatic definitely like in hindsight funny Mm -hmm. um so now I can laugh it (laughs) off but in the moment it was like damaging definitely yeah (laughs) um I think the one that I'm thinking of like that's coming to the front of my mind is When I was with a partner with a vulva and uh, we had just got done strapping and if no one knows what that is, it is in usually lesbian or vulva on vulva sex when someone wears a strap on and there's a receiver of the strap on dildo. I was wearing it, person was receiving and so we finished that and I went to go down on them and the lube that we had used for the dildo was it was like this organic like really well like 
like high grade, like water-based lube. It was everything that you're supposed to use, right? So I went down on her and I, was, I came up and I was like, like I literally spit out because I couldn't keep it in my mouth. It tasted so bad. And it wasn't her. It was the lube. Yeah, so yeah. I like did one move, came back up and was like, and of course she's like, like taken aback and she's like oh my and she's like uh, are you okay I was like and I I couldn't get it out of my mouth so I took my hand and I start kind of doing this thing <laughs> people can't see but I'm doing the uh like hands on the tongue licking your paws type yeah of, trying yeah, yeah. to get it out of my mouth because it would not leave <laughs> Uh, it was just like the word it tasted like I don't like a tire or something just something oh, that yeah. did not belong on your body like it was fine for the strap on yeah. <laughs> not fine for going down and usually lubes aren't like that if they're like water-based and yeah. organic so um word to the wise test uh taste test all of your lubes please I thought I was fine and I ended up really embarrassing somebody and then I had to kind of walk it back and be like no no it's not you it's the lube I swear and she was like uh okay and I was like it's fine it's fine and then it's like what do I do do I like ask them to like wipe it off yeah. or like it's in there you know so it was just kind of like uh so it put us in a weird situation but we we got around it but it was just kind of jarring to experience that and like I know I haven't been on the receiving end of something like that if someone goes down on me but like I can only imagine you know being kind of embarrassed at someone coming up and just spitting like Ugh! yeah know? no I'm always when on the receiving end of anything oral I'm like always hyper aware of my partner's like I guess body movements to try to seem like something like that right it's like oh, do mm -hmm. I taste okay do I smell okay like whatever you know and I, I'm lucky now I've been in a long-term relationship so it's like kind of a non-concern but especially when it was like a new partner or a mm -hmm. casual encounter it was like oh dear god help me like yeah um that's I feel like in those moments you have to have like aftercare mid interaction because <laughs> yeah. it's like really like a really um potentially awkward um and embarrassing moment but um for sure yeah no that's that's funny I I don't taste test my lube um and that's I feel like a pro tip that I've not heard someone pitch um really before I think everyone's like yeah of course just you know if lube's the right kind of lube then it'll be fine no one's ever like oh yeah you should taste test it which um Gotta pencil that one in. Like if it's... you plan on having it in your mouth, yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I no, I so. it's it's an obvious it's an obvious one, but not one that I had necessarily uh, yeah penciled penciled into my own sex practice. So, um, full of them, you know. Always thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that as well. Uh, hopefully, that was a fun exercise for you to just dive deep into your. Sex Rolodex. Sex Rolodex. Very good rhyme. Yeah. Okay. Everyone's welcome for that. Um, so I want to kind of dive in a little bit into some of the background that you've already referenced. Um, and I'd love to hear kind of just at a high level what led to your interest in pursuing, um, you know, sensual education, sex coaching, sexology, and kind of everything that you both like research and, and kind of teach others about. Ooh. 
Well, the first thing that came along was definitely burlesque, um, and that is like theatrical striptease for anyone who's not familiar, but it's like a lovely community. It's very queer. It's very um, kinky. Um, The people who kind of come to burlesque shows or frequent them are usually on the like alt or kind of, I'll say the more sexually adventurous side of folks. You get a lot of like swingers, a lot of people in the poly and kink community. Um, and just a lot of fucking weirdos. <laughs> you know, it's like a weird mesh of like drag queens and clowns and aerialists and, um, you know, dancers and showgirls and rockabilly people and, you know, sideshow freaks. Like, um, it's very strange, but it all works out. You know, if you're taking your clothes off, you can probably find a burlesque stage to perform on. Um, so if anyone's interested, you know look up burlesque locally and see what's going on. Um, But I started doing burlesque when I was 21, like right when I turned 21. And at that point, I had had just a few like cis male partners. I definitely was not exploring my sexuality like I wanted to, I guess, or like I feel like I deserved to at the time. Um was coming out of a really depressive slump in college and just like just kind of getting into myself again after not being myself for like a year and you know finding therapy and another group of friends and like all the things that kind of like make life better in your like quarter life crisis um but after all of that I was like I need a hobby I need something to do I was a fashion design major for a few years in Texas and it was like eating away at my soul to just keep doing projects and they weren't even like serving me creatively really and I really wanted to get back into dancing because I had done that throughout my adolescence but I was like you know I don't want to you know I'm not a professional dancer I haven't danced in years like I don't want to take a ballet for adult uh for adults like dance class like I just want to do something fun. So I Googled burlesque classes in my area and lo and behold, there were some classes being taught at a local studio. So did that. And I was like, I'm hooked. This is my thing. Like, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm hooked. This is my thing. Like, I definitely want to keep doing this. So I kept going back to a few classes, you know, like as I could afford them as a broke college student. (laughs) And, um, I think I ran into the girl who was running the classes at a bar because I had just turned 21. It was like maybe my like second or third bar adventure. And she was like, hey, I'm starting a showgirl troupe in Dallas if you want to be a part of it. And I was like, fuck yes, this is exactly what I want to do. Like I need something to pour myself into that is not, you know, staying up sewing all night or, you know, hanging out with the same people. I was like, yeah, that'll give me a reason to go into Dallas, like the next large city that was close to my college town. And I don't know, just kind of like have friends who were like a little bit older than me and like seemingly cooler than me and all that (laughs) stuff. So I was like, fuck yeah, I want to do that. So we started rehearsals and we started doing like a small group of showgirl style stuff, which is more like chorus line, kick line sort of things like Rockette style dancing. Mm -hmm. No real like burlesque striptease or anything. Um, 
And then I think three months into it, I was like, I think I'm going to try to take my bra off during during a show. <laughs> um, and we did it in a group number. And I was like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, And mind you, before this, I was like extremely self-conscious, extremely just um, – like I had a history of eating disorders and um, body dysmorphia and things like that. So it was like very, very hard for me to um, be seen in that way on a stage, you know, and dancing, like I've always been a good dancer. So it was kind of like, okay, this, the confidence will kind of, from one thing will kind of bleed over into the other. And I was, once I took my top off and just like felt good about it and I had never done that even in like sexual encounters, like I was like a hold up the titties kind of Mm. person and, you know, like, oh, suck in the tummy, you know, like all of the things you do when you're young and, you know, I don't know, feel like you have to do that, I guess. Yeah. Um, But I did that and it just felt so freeing and I was like, I think I want to keep doing this. So like every act after that, if it was a solo act, I just kind of like pushed myself a little bit more, started doing more reveals or revealing more skin, what have you. So I just got so comfortable in my body through doing that. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Like it's helped me work through like sexual trauma. It's helped me work through – like I said before, my body issues and like I just – I've just been doing it for 10 years now, <laughs> so it's crazy. Um, yeah, but I started doing burlesque in 2012 or 2013 and um, that took me, you know, to different places, just traveling, doing burlesque. Um, like I said, there's kind of a burlesque community in every like – large cities. Sometimes towns have have burlesque communities. So everywhere you go, you can kind of find someone who does it. It's kind of like a hmm. – it's like a weird, nerdy thing to be into, like cosplay or, I don't know, board games. <laughs> like, there's always yeah. going to be somewhere wherever you go um, to, you know, commune in that space and with those kinds of people. So burlesque was like my thing. And like I'd never attached to something as quickly or as – well or as um, easily as I had to burlesque. So Mm. poured a lot of myself into that Um, and just, you know, like trying to get the gig, trying to travel, trying to make ends meet just so I can like invest in a costume and then, you know, rinse, repeat, do the thing all over again. And I was traveling um, and living in my hometown, which I just never anticipated happening, but it did (laughs) for a while. And um But I was using that time to kind of travel and, like, taste test (laughs) some (laughs) cities uh, Mm -hmm. and, like, where I wanted to live more permanently. And then I ended up coming to Chicago, actually, for this all-black burlesque review called Jeezy's Juke Joint. If y'all don't know about it, you should definitely go. It is (laughs) fucking fantastic. It actually just took place this past weekend. But get your tickets for next year because it is fucking amazing. Um, So I was a featured performer in this all-black burlesque review and uh, traveled from Texas to Chicago in March of 2018. So I just fell in love with the city and I was like, oh my God, I want to be a part of this. Like it is so black. It is so queer. Like a bunch of parties and like just people kind of being free in ways that I had never seen before in Texas and this like mm. very conservative kind of repressive energy that is the yeah. state of Texas. Yeah. Um, 
we have a good subculture and like alt community because it is so conservative, but it's until you leave that space or spaces like that, you don't know how different it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I'm sure uh, listeners who have paid any attention at all to anything I've said of, yeah, I, I, I totally, um, felt, felt that as well. Um, you know, I grew up with like progressive parents, but like still, well, relatively speaking. Um, but yeah, no, still felt like the, um, shame and terror that is, um, Texas and states like it. Um, it's funny. Uh, I, um, am not a burlesque dancer, um, though I think it's amazing. I am not very coordinated, so maybe I should take a class, but, um, do it. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to I talk about it. I guess I'm coming up. We'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, I um, I was a really big part of uh, a local live action role play community because I'm a big... Oh, I'm a ta- LARPing. I, yep. Yep. I'm a table topper. I'm a LARPer. I'm a big nerd uh, kind of in that sector. Um, and s- sort of similarly, like it was a, a hub for um, like queer, trans, poly, you know, alphabet soup folks to kind of congregate and like be themselves um and it's funny because like all of us really were like working to um make ends meet and like buy costumes but like LARPing (laughs) costumes as opposed to burlesque so strange amount of overlap between what you uh just said about your experience with the burlesque community and and LARPing totally different but um you know like folks who need to find like-minded people will find it in whatever alternative community they can and and that suits their interests. So, um, and, and one other, um, note I kind of wanted to point out in, in what you said that I thought was really interesting is that when you were talking about like each burlesque show being sort of like an opportunity for you to push and, and challenge yourself and, and kind of explore, um, your own boundaries. I was sort of like, wow, that's, I feel like I hear my therapist in the back of, of my head saying like, this is excellent in vivo exposure. Like as someone who's like, who's like, okay, well like the next one I'm going to do this and like, you know, overcoming, well, not necessarily 100% overcoming trauma. Cause obviously trauma is hard to ever 100% overcome, but like sure. pushing through um, some of the limitations that kind of the aftermath of trauma can um, burden someone with, which, um, comes up a lot in my podcast as well um you know sexual trauma and, and the need for therapy or um mm-hmm. things that we don't even realize are traumatic um so anyway I just wanted to um, point out a couple of of those really interesting notes kind of within everything that you said um so anyway I I didn't mean to interrupt you though because I do want to hear about sort of like the segue if I'm assuming there was a pretty natural one between your burlesque experience moving to Chicago and um like you know sexology and and education yeah yeah definitely um there was and it happened pretty organically just because I was um leading these burlesque and yoga fusion workshops with a storefront um it was like a sex shop basically but it was very like femme based um and very like queer affirming. Mm. So um, my burlesque troupe, the Pasty Pops, um, <laughs> in San Antonio, yes, yeah, super cute. Um, we uh, all kind of worked there at some point, either as like concierges or like doing our own workshops there. Um, 
And we had a great relationship with the owners because they would let us use their workshop area and create a um, a space for burlesque performances, which is fantastic just because in San Antonio, Texas, South Central Texas specifically, like there are not a lot of venues who are willing to let burlesque happen there. Like just point blank period. People don't want to deal with it. Like there are weird laws with Texas and people – you know, spaces that have liquor licenses and having nudity there. Um, People just don't want to deal with the liability and people, uh, venue owners do not want people to walk away offended by whatever they see. So it's just kind of like when you're already in this space that is incredibly conservative, it's kind of like you're walking on eggshells with every venue, every event, even if they give you the okay, there's always the chance that someone could come, you know, back to you with a bad review and be like, I didn't want to see men stripping. I thought it was only going to be women. (laughs) Or Like we've had that complaint before about our troop and people wanting their money back or, you know, also in Texas, I feel like, And this is like another just contrasting thing that I'm thinking of between Texas and uh, Chicago specifically as like a large city. But I don't know. There's this culture where I'm from where you just don't really pay for the arts. Like people are just like if there's a band playing or something here in Chicago, you always assume there's a cover Mm -hmm. at least like five bucks or something. And like you're willing to pay, right? Because it's just like uh, the, the cost of participation and you know, it's not, um, it's not uncommon for you to, you know, run into somebody and be like, Hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm a, I'm an artist. I'm a gig worker. I do this, this, and this. Cause you can like make a living, you know, in Chicago, um, more so pre pandemic, but you can <laughs> like, you know, paste and put everything together to like make gig life work here. Whereas if you said that in Texas, people would be like, oh, like how, how do you do that? And the answer is you don't. (laughs) Like a lot of the time you, you can't. Um, People that do, you have to hustle really hard. Like I remember at one point I was trying to get more gigs, get more notoriety in the burlesque scene. And I was, you know, gigging um and to get in order to get gigs outside of san antonio for um more than like you know performing once a month or maybe twice a month i had to drive and texas is huge so i was driving to houston three hours to dallas five hours uh now more like seven with traffic yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know anywhere i could go i was flying places to like you know just do a gig whereas in chicago it's like like my first or second month here after moving in 2019, I had like 11 gigs in one month. Oh my God. That's <laughs> like, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And all in the same city, you know? So it's just kind of like the, the supply and demand is not there necessarily. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of got tired of that, but um, back to workshops. Um, so I was teaching some burlesque fusion workshops with this storefront that had this other um, performance space, essentially, right? Um, and it was movement workshops, and I think I was just talking offhand with uh, the in-house sex therapist there, and she really saw something in me and was like, have you ever thought about going out for the sex coaching certification here through the institute that's, again, attached to um, the storefront? And I was like, no, I don't know about that. Like, uh, what would I even do with that? You know, and this was like 
end of 2018. Um, and the sex therapist told me like, oh, you can do a lot. You can like teach. You can, you know, I can recommend you as a keynote speaker at uh, UTSA, one of the big universities there. Like I would definitely, you know, put your name out there if you, you know, if you had the credentials and I think it would be really good for you. And I just, I just never even considered it before that. I was just kind of like, eh. like I obviously don't shy away from sex. I didn't shy away from talking about it, mm-hmm. um, having it, any of that. But <laughs> I was like, eh, like, I don't know if I can like invest the time in that. And like, I also come from a yoga background. So like investing monetarily or financially in like another, uh, I don't know, credential that I kind of was using, but not really doing it full time. Mm. It just felt kind of like, "Mm, am I going to like make the money back or is this really going to be a thing for me? Turns out it is. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm glad I did it. But I started the online certification um, in January 2019 and I finished everything by – oof. Maybe summer twenty twenty one. I literally had one book left, and it was about male orgasms. And I was like, I don't know <laughs> if I can read this. <laughs> like, yeah, um, just Fair the enough. way it was written was kind of like, oh. But yeah. Um, yeah, finally did it. Took like a little over two years, but you know, we made it. And I just learned so much about myself in the process of like reading about human sexuality and reading about the orgasm cycle. And I was just like, oh my God, if I would have known about this like five years ago, this would have informed me so much or I wouldn't have been like, you know, shaming my partner for having low desire issues or maybe I would have been more receptive to somebody who was having like erectile dysfunction or, you know, not taking it personally or something, you know, like, or not taking my inability to orgasm personally with like some partners and not others. Like just the more, you know, the more, you know, so (laughs) it's fantastic. And it was like a, you know, combination of like a lot of personal development, a lot of personal things I was facing the sex coaching certification through the Institute just kind of really makes you look at yourself in Mm a lot of different ways and do a lot of self-exploration. I had to watch a lot of weird fucking porn that I can't (laughs) unsee. And, you know, I thought I wasn't a prude and turns out I have my limits too, like everybody else. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I love it. It's great. I, I think that talking about sex and um, kind of demystifying it for people is always going to be a part of my, my brand, so to speak. Um, So it was just kind of like, oh, why not get this credential and just, you know, like, like have that behind your name. And then that is that coaching certification is essentially what got me the hours and the experience to go for a sexology certification Mm. um, so that you have like the research background and that coupled with my like burlesque background, which I consider sex work. Some people don't, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how I got my sexology certification, and hopefully we maybe in the future get to do some, like, research or something. Um, That's kind of, like, the next step that I'm looking for, and, you know, my little pet project with that is my podcast, Um, kind of gathering 
not so much data, but like, you know, sound bites here and there coming to a consistent consensus about things. And um, I don't know, it's just like podcasting really fell into my lap. It was like a, a quarantine hobby that is now something that is like I take very seriously. It's my baby and it's also something I hate and want to throw against the wall. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. People are like, why aren't you doing it more often? And I'm like, it's so hard when you're a solo podcaster. <laughs> like, you know. It's exhausting. Yeah. yeah. I'm so envious of everyone who has a, a co-host because exactly. it's like I'm, I'm just me. Sort of similarly, I I started Sexistentialist because um, I'm, I'm a youth sex educator. I love talking about the ins and outs of, of the sexual experience, but like in an inclusive and comprehensive way, which is like a massive umbrella, right? But it's an umbrella that like we have to kind of address because so much of the content out there I think is um, really narrow-minded and just doesn't cover all of the thousands of bases that need to be covered. And so it's Mm -hmm. so interesting for me to have conversations with people and frankly, like just selfishly learn through my own personal growth. And then I, you know, just post on the internet in hopes that other people learn um, from, you know, whatever lesson or idea that um, I'm kind of talking about. So, um, but I I get the, it's hard. Podcasting is hard and it sucks, um, but I totally get the like, it's my baby type mentality around it. Yeah. And I love it. Like, it's great. I wish I could do it more often. And well, I just wish there were like, I could like carbon copy myself and be like, (laughs) okay, you go to the gym. You (laughs) go do the podcasting. You get on dating apps and try to find someone to fuck. You take out the dog. (laughs) You know, it's just like so much. And podcasting is truly like content creation in general. um, And I'm learning that as I like get more into that space. Like it's just so like you can't take it for granted. And um, it's just – you know, it takes the time that it takes and yeah. like in order to produce the content at a certain level that is good for you, that is good for your audience. Um, and in order to like, you know, maintain that expectation, like you have to sacrifice the time. So it's just a, a hard truth, you know, but yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And I will say like it is, I, I do think it's important and um you know, I've listened to several of your episodes and I think like a lot of the stuff that you cover is important. And like you said, it's a, an outlet too, for you to have sound bites and add to your own kind of like long-term goal of, of researching more and more. So it's sort of like, um, I think like you're sharing important stuff, obviously, you know, that because you're doing it well, hopefully, you know, that it's important to, um, to cover these topics and the stuff that you share is really cool and important and interesting not to toot your horn but um Beep. yeah it's been tooted yes that's why <laughs> so kind of on that note you mentioned um at the start of the episode your kind of current focus um on bisexuality kind of like bisexual women or vulva owners and and their experience and I want to make sure we spend lots of time on that because I know it's kind of your, your current focus. Um, and I think it's a really interesting (laughs) one. Um, Mm -hmm. so kind of a, a quick 
overview and you can kind of go more in depth um, for, for folks who haven't checked out your social media, which we will link in the show notes. Um, a lot of what um, you've been talking about is, like you said, bisexual women or femmes sort of having like a, a late blooming experience or, or um, people who kind of didn't have confidence in their sexuality or, or buried it for one reason or another. Um, so I, and I identify as pan, which obviously pan and bi, lots of, lots of overlap, slightly different mm. words. Um, but it's been really interesting for me to look at just some of the stuff that you've created on um, Instagram and some of the workshops I know that you've taught and will be teaching. And we'll get into that um, as well um, about, you know, like, how to go down on a vulva owner if you haven't before or like um how to yeah. ah the I fear the it's terror, real the terror yeah and the, the first and I think I've talked about it on my show or someone else's show but the mm-hmm. first time I went down on a on a woman I was like oh boy here we go like we're just gonna you know saddle up and see what happens and um yep <laughs> the the like confidence thing too like I had a mega crush on this woman and she's like cool and like, you know, like five years older than me. And like, anyway, I, it was oh, yeah, not, I know that well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every it, crush. <laughs> literally. Yeah. And, so and cool. <laughs> she's like very openly queer, like only really dates other Volvo owners. And so it wasn't mm-hmm. until of course I was in a, a relationship that she was like, I didn't know you were queer. And I was like, well, yeah, that tracks because <laughs> I don't talk about it very much and I am not very confident in my queerness. So, yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I just word vomited, but <laughs> I um, I get the sense from your content that you've used some of your own personal experience um, in kind of discovering this topic. You said that your clients tend to kind of exist in this uh, realm and that's sort of like how you figured out this, this lane. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to hear... Um, kind of like if you can speak to your own self-exploration and how that has led to kind of the, some of the work that you're doing, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that um, my queerness kind of came from the same place. It started around the same time as – this like horrible psychotic breakdown that I had in college. Um, And after that, you know, subsequently there was, you know, me getting a therapist, me finding group therapy for sexual trauma, me, um, you know, getting my life together, so to speak, a little bit and like my actions and behavior together. Um, And after, you know, I found burlesque, I kind of had a creative channel, um, but I just did not during that time. I felt like my sensuality was kind of being explored, but like I did not, you know, I was working so hard with burlesque when I first started, you know, for a few years, I just did not really put sexuality or sex at the forefront and it definitely took a toll. <laughs> yeah. Um because in my dating life in my early 20s at that time when I was doing burlesque and like hitting shit really hard and you know just you know trying to finish college and be a human kind of <laughs> um <laughs> functioning barely um in school um it was just a lot and I think I had some like shame surrounding it just because all of my friends were straight. Every like story I heard was heterosexual, heteronormative. Mm. And for the longest time, and this I think has to do with just more like how I was raised 
and, um, you know, having like an older sister who's very straight <laughs> to kind of like mimic my behavior after, like I, it was just ingrained in me from a very young age of like, um, you know, your validation has to come from a man. It has to come from your partner, um, who is a cis man. It has to, you know, um, like your existence is not validated until you find a partner. And mm. I was so hung up on like finding a dude to date. Like my first couple of years of college, I was so hard up for dick. It was not cute. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Insanely crushing on people, one-way crushes, which is being creepy. So I'll admit <laughs> it. Um, but I just, you know, I had some feelings, but I never really paid attention to them because I was just like, oh, everybody watches like some a little gay porn here or there. <laughs> Everyone watches like girls kissing and like it's fine. And, you know, um, I guess that just got like revived after this uh, like break in my psyche, you know, mid 20s or early 20s. And um, I was dealing with that um, just in a very closeted way. I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I had no queer friends. Mm. Um, I had no queer community, even though, you know, I was a part of the burlesque community. You're still, it's still pretty closeted, you know, all things considered in. Dallas, Texas. Yeah, of <laughs> course. Oh, people, yeah. people aren't, aren't aren't like out out, so to say. But um, yeah, it just felt something I like something I never was confident enough to explore. And then I like took a metals class with someone, and I have to share this with her later. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I recently told this person I had a crush on her, and she was my first girl crush. And she was like, "Oh my god, you were mine too!" And I was like, "What? We could have made out." <laughs> Damn it. I, I know. Missed opportunity. This is why I'm trying to educate people. Like, yeah. I, so many. Yeah. I hear We you. could all be kissing each other. True. <laughs> Come on. <Yeah. laughs> Making each other happy. <laughs> but um, I took a metals class in college. <laughs> when I was doing a metals class, I have no fucking clue. Quit after like six weeks, but I. <laughs> I had this like major crush energy on this girl in there. And that was like the first time it had been a real person in front of me that I was, you know, actually vibing with and like thought like, oh my God, like I don't just want to like make out with her. I want to like do stuff to her. I want yeah. like her to do stuff to me. Like I remember she was like bending over in these white pants one day, <laughs> like white linen pants in the metal shop, like. I don't know, fucking like sawing some tin or some shit. And I was just like, hmm, <laughs> like lip bite. Just. <laughs> and then I caught myself because like I knew we were in a workshop and people were probably staring at me, staring at her. And I was like, ah, <laughs> just like shaking it off. But that was like the first time I consciously made a connection of like, you are attracted to women. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like before it was just kind of like, oh, like maybe if it happens, like I'll make out with the girl at a party or something. Mind you, I had yeah. like no no experience with women yet like until I was maybe like pfft, 25 26 yeah, yeah. like seriously nothing I was way too scared way too shy it feels like you know once you have that realization of you know like being attracted to women it feels like oh my god where the fuck do I start I'm a grown person like I should have you know a certain amount of um, you know, experience under my belt. But now I feel like I'm, you know, back when I was like 12 or 13 and just like 
figuring out how to make out with people or like how to touch people. Like, I don't know, like, how do I go down on someone, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. What do you do? How do you sex? I don't know. (laughs) And we all, of course, you know, no porn is, is very fake and you take that with a grain of salt. So it's kind of like, can this be a, a learning tool? Probably not. Um, so when you don't have queer community, like I didn't, when you don't have um, even like another by curious ear to bounce things off of, you know, I had my three very straight, very hetero girlfriends always talking about dick all the time and their boyfriends. So yeah. it was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, like I'm the chronically single person. Not only do I like not have anyone to talk about in this like group hang I also am kind of like having feelings but they're about women so I don't know how y'all feel I don't know if you'll be offended if I like come out to you with this um long story short I finally did and like my first experience of me finally like kind of like taking the reins of my sexuality or embracing my bisexuality was like two or three years later I think I was like 24 ish and I had a huge crush on, again, an, an older woman. And um, we just had a mutual friend group. And it was kind of like I was forming my first couple of queer friendships in San Antonio mm-hmm. um, as an adult. And that was just like a new experience for me, like going to queer parties and queer spaces and feeling like I belonged there rather than not, if like mm-hmm. more so than not. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, this is great. I'm embracing this and it's like opening me up to these new things. So um, I hung out one-on-one with this person I had a crush on and we went in the woods and walked around and I knew when the the day started that like I wanted to kiss her and I wanted to like ask her about it basically, right? I was like, I think I'm going to kiss her. Um but I don't know how I'm going to do it. So I was just like very nervous the whole time yeah. when we were taking this woods walk. Also a very gay thing. <laughs> <laughs> Disappearing into the woods. Yeah. Totally straight. Yeah. No questions asked. Exactly. Yeah. She was like, you want to go walk in the woods? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> You're like, sounds gay. I'm in. Yep. I want to suck your face. <laughs> So um, I'm like nervously trailing behind her on this path in the woods and like we just kind of stop for a moment and like take a breath and I was like, I really want to kiss you right now. And then she was like, okay. (laughs) Just like a very, a very like even keeled, like not good, not bad, (laughs) sort of like, okay, I feel that. And I was like, do I have your permission to kiss you? And she was like, Yeah. And I kissed her, and it was the most awkward kiss ever. It was horrible. <laughs> like, it, I could tell that she didn't not want to kiss me, but she also didn't really want to kiss me. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll try this. And it was like, mm, nah, friend energy <laughs> yeah. all the way. Like, womp. So just kissed for about a minute, and uh, yeah, acted like it didn't happen. Walked back <laughs> to the car. <laughs> and dropped, I dropped her off and then I was like texted her later and I was like oh my god I'm so sorry I didn't want to make you uncomfortable like this is like my worst fear like I don't I still want to be friends with you if you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah. and she was like no no it's totally fine I totally understand I think she just kind of knew I was like a, a queer baby or a baby bi and she just like 
maybe yeah. had been there herself and was like obliging me in an older woman way <laughs> and uh, was just like, yeah, sure, girl. I totally get it. Like, you fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's all right. For it. Yeah, you have my consent, but that doesn't mean that we're in love. Yeah, um, for yeah. sure. And I was like, oh my God. Like, so apologetic, you know, profusely. And it's like, yeah. just the dynamic of that was so different because I was like, if this had been, you know, thinking about entrenched gender dynamics, like if this had been a dude, like maybe yeah. that would have been, you know, a thought, a forethought for both of us at the beginning of our like planned day or whatever, or, you know, maybe I wouldn't have even asked, which is silly, but like, yeah. you know, maybe I would have just like done it in a more flirty or sexy way or like more aggressive instead of being like kind of yeah. like shy about it, I guess, and asking for consent and things, which, you know, like having queer sex, having queer relationships now like after a few years has reminded me of like oh this should be present in all relationships like consent yeah. and permission and checking in and you know the things you learn again as you grow and get older but at this at the time I was like shitting bricks and I was like oh my god this person's never gonna talk to me again <laughs> like, yeah but the magic of queerness is that you know sometimes you crush on your friends and sometimes they crush on you back sometimes they don't so yeah <laughs> Yes, magic, magic sometimes, and sometimes just, awkward. just awkward. Yep. <laughs> yep. She took it really well, though, and we're still friends, and yeah, she's she's great. So I'm like, Good. thank you for being my, you know, my first step in the bisexuality direction. And then I remember after that, that weird kiss, I told my three, you know, very straight best friends, I was like, oh, I, I have something to tell y'all, and they were like what and I was like I kissed a girl and I liked it and like, ah! of course they were like mm, we kind of knew <laughs> or we kind of thought like that might yeah. be it or something like you're so gorgeous why don't you have a boyfriend blah 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 but I'm also yeah, yeah. like cis men are kind of awful sometimes but you know yeah. retweet <laughs> 100% yeah dressed as history still awkward sometimes but <laughs> Well, I think like this is key, right? Sex, dating, relationships, even friendships, like all of it is awkward at some point or another. Mm -hmm. If other people don't feel that way, maybe I'm just awkward and that's okay. I can reflect on that separately. But I think I think to some extent, right, like those interactions are awkward. I think um, it's tough to navigate as well, sort of to, to your point through how to um, – how to disregard some of the things that we assume because of living in like a cisgender heteronormative society and then like mm -hmm. rediscovering how to navigate those things without it being awkward right like there are so many sexy ways to ask for consent but it's sort of like if you aren't used to doing it or haven't thought about it then you're sort of like may I finger you please like it's a, and that's like not hot like yeah even if I really wanted someone to if they said it like that I'd probably be like well now I'm not horny because <laughs> yeah. you just said it like that so yeah you know it's, it's I am dry yeah yeah <laughs> Sorry. absolutely not we're gonna have to lube up because oh, what did you just say to me <laughs> Um, yeah, and I it's think like starting over like puberty again, but totally, you know, you don't have a guide and I feel like that's where a lot of, I don't know, my work 
now stems from because I thought it was just me and you know um you know I have more friends who have had queer community for longer and who have identified as queer longer than you know five years so um there's that piece of like seeing people and kind of like emulating that and also I think a big part of my journey into queerness into exploring my bisexuality was moving away. And I know that a lot of people don't have that opportunity and don't have the means to do that. Um, But I just felt like it was time for me to leave San Antonio and for me to leave Texas. And um, I was 27, going to be 28. Just got out of my like last hetero relationship. Um, Not like I'm not going to go back to that because again, bisexual, but um, (laughs) You know, I got out of this like sexless (laughs) fucking like long distance, like the most like, I don't know. It's almost like we kind of I stayed with this dude because um, I felt like heteronormativity was telling me to. Yeah. And then once I got out of that, I was like, oh, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do anything I don't want to do. Why don't I fucking move like I was planning (laughs) to do a year ago? I literally planned to move to Chicago summer of 2018 and then a week after I got back from this lovely trip that I had to Chicago, I met my then boyfriend and then I stayed, mm. you know, because of him essentially to see how that would play out Yeah, and it didn't and we had our time together but I was like, you know what, I think I need to put this on the shelf. I've had – I finally had had my first long-term – um relationship Mm. you know over a couple of months which was like my track record like maybe two or three months and then I went to a year-long relationship that was long distance with the man um but after that ended I was like a big leap yeah I was like I just need to go so got my shit together I had saved a bunch of money (laughs) luckily because I was kind of you know thinking that whole year that we were dating like am I gonna stay with him I don't know so I luckily had means to save. Um, and then I left and it was literally like a door just opened for me. Like I felt like, okay, this is the chance for me to reinvent myself, for me to be a different person, you know, to not have three degrees of separation from everyone. And, you know, even with my burlesque identity, I can like reinvent that because people know me Mm. to be a certain way in Texas as a performer. No one knows me as a performer in Chicago. So like I get to just reconfigure kind of the tapestry that makes up me like, wow, I need to take my chance and do that. And let me tell you, before I even got a fucking piece of furniture in this apartment two years ago when I moved in. I got on Hinge. I changed it to women only. (laughs) That was the first time I had done that on any dating app at 28. And it was liberating just even swiping through and like seeing what was out there. I would have never changed my dating app to women only in my hometown. I'd be too scared of someone seeing it, of my family seeing it, you know, like, and that's a legitimate fear for people. And I have a pretty... They're not liberal, but they will not say anything to my face, you know, if they don't have sure. a problem. Sometimes it's the best that you can get in Texas. So. Exactly. I'm like, y'all can talk your shit, <laughs> you know, at the family yeah. table when I am not there, but I know y'all won't say anything to me, so let's keep it cordial. But, you know, after being a burlesque, a burlesque performer for 10 years, being like basically a stripper to them, you know, and yeah. you don't talk about that, it's like, how much worse can my 
my identity get for you? You know, yeah. like there, there's not much lower than that for a lot of families. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, but I still didn't feel safe. Like I felt fine, you know, stripping and showing my ass and titties on the internet and on YouTube or wherever would allow me. Yeah. But I did not feel okay having my face and, you know, interested in women next to it for yeah. the longest time until I moved. And um, yeah, it's been a great journey. I went on my first couple of lady dates at 28 and it was fantastic. And I don't know, I just want that for everybody. Like I want everybody to kind of not take it so seriously, treat it as an opportunity. Like if you do come to queerness late in life or consider yourself like a late in life queer, late blooming mm -hmm. queer, as we say, um, you know, not judge yourself and, you know, think about life as a journey because, you know, it kind of makes me understand things like uh, I feel like there's this rhetoric of like, oh, you're just born gay. And it's like, yes and no. Wow. <laughs> there's, you know, the nature versus nurture argument, but also there's this idea that um, – you know, queerness is a gene or it's mm, like, yeah. it's, it's something that can be recessive or, you know, it's in how you raise people. Like if you don't raise them around X, Y, and Z, they never get exposed to it, then, you know, they'll never know. And that won't be a part of their lives. It won't intrigue them. But like, I don't know, ladies kissing was turning me on when I was like five years old watching like weird erotic thrillers, you know? Like, yeah. No, I probably know which movie you're talking about because I have <laughs> So probably... many wild things. Yeah. Wild things. I was going to say. Wild the bisexual things. canon. There's, yeah, no, there was so, my YouTube history was also like that. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. It, it was 100% that, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I relate to that. So I, the, the first like, I mean, obviously, this is a thought I've had since being an adult and, like, redefining virginity because that's a whole other mm. thing that obviously is a is a part of, of queerness. But, like, mm -hmm. the um, – like, what I would say is, like, an early sexual experience for me, which I didn't consider it for that for a long time. Like, I was very stereotypically – you know, like 17 and at a sleepover and we all got super drunk and literally had an orgy. What? <laughs> it was just women, just oh, women. That's all cool. That's badass. Yeah. And then, and then it took me to, and well, it took me five years to be like, oh yeah, I'm queer. Like, I, <laughs> like I again, like only watching, well, almost exclusively watching lesbian porn like ding, ding, ding. such a young <laughs> sexual experience with only women which like I think half of the gals present are now like openly like yeah yeah, yeah I'm queer and then like maybe maybe like three fourths and then like there are a couple people who aren't as like public about it which who knows what they identify as behind closed, closed that doors. is a Gosh, not at all but reasonably sized orgy for such a young age yeah I mean there was like five of us at a sleepover drunk on Everclear and we were like yeah let's watch porn yeah let's get naked like what and then like cool. you know I dated exclusively <laughs> men for the rest of my life obviously even though and I have had a history of dating queer cisgender men which mm. in my head for a while was sort of like a oh I'm breaking the norm you know what I mean but mm -hmm. like it, it did take a while for me to, as an adult, have a sexual experience with a vulva owner to be like, yep, no, and we're definitely queer. We definitely aren't just drawn to penis owners because for a while there was such a big mm -hmm. gap between that weird <laughs> high school sexual experience and like 
having just girl crushes without any like sexual interaction with with vulva owners that I was like maybe I just dreamed the whole queer thing like maybe I just like made mm-hmm. it up and um stuff but I um yeah wasn't quite as late of a bloomer but I was I was in my 20s when I like rediscovered having sex with a vulva owner um and being like yeah no I'm into that yep definitely into it (laughs) check yeah for sure would would buy again yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um something that you have mentioned on social media and sort of talked about in your uh narrative with the the woods story a little bit in terms of um like verbalizing and talking about sex I feel like um you know, you've pointed out that that is a really important part of queer relationships. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as a sex educator, I'm all for over discussing sex with my partner. I'm very much like a, was that good for you? Here's why it was good for me. What did you like and not like? Like, I, you know, we've been sleeping together for long enough now to where like some might assume that it's, you know, just inherent, but like it's, I, I just think it never is, right? There's always stuff mm-hmm. to discuss and, and, figure out about the role that we kind of want to play in each sexual scene even, let alone sort of like within the dynamic as a whole. Um, I feel like folks in our generation were not taught about um, things like options in sex, like positions and, but also like safety and health and everything in between. Um, So I guess I'm curious as to either how you've sort of navigated um, discussing sex before or during, um, as, as a bisexual individual and how you maybe like encourage others to kind of navigate those conversations. Hmm. I'm like, how have I done this? <laughs> um, I usually like, I'm really into making out. So, and I can like make out for hours. Like, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but I can. No, if I, other people I are have, down. <laughs> I have totally like fully closed made out for three hours and been absolutely satisfied. So yeah, it's lot. great. It, the lost art of making out. Like I feel like people don't do it anymore. Yeah. Or well, the attention yeah. span for it is very low. And when yeah. I find someone who's like down to do that, just like let's just make out at a bar or whatever. Like A plus. I fucking love it. And you know the physical touch love language person in me is just like really getting stroked in that way. So I'm like, oh, yes. Um, so I kind of will take breaks during the makeout and be like, okay, I really want to do this with you, but like, would you be okay with that? Or like, mm. would you be okay if uh, like later we, you know, brought a dildo into, <laughs> into play or like, um, you know, uh, I always like to survey kind of boundaries, like kind of at that time too, and be like, okay, well, what are you looking for with Mm. this? And people think that that's really like heavy conversation, but you can make it light and playful. Um, I'll ask things like, oh, are you okay with coming home with me? Like, or do you want to take me home? Sort of like things like that, little whispers and and, uh, tidbits, you know, while we are making out. So it kind of, doesn't distract from the fact that like, yes, I am into you. Yes. I want this to keep going, but we don't have to have a hard pause and be like, yes, let's switch it and reverse it. Let's bring it back. And (laughs) let's talk about, um, you know, what kind of condoms you like using or whatever, you know, like it's kind of more so infused in that. So that's like my style personally. Mm -hmm. Um, 
what I've had people do that I just think is like a fucking plus is uh, I was making out with somebody. We like went back to my room and started taking our clothes off. We're going to do the deed. And then they go, okay, um, this is the least sexy part of sex, but I just got tested for STIs and I am good. Like what was your last testing status and how do you feel about um, using or not using X, Y, and Z. And, you know, we just, I just briefly said, yes, I've been tested too. Like I didn't have anything either. Um, you know, that was a month ago. I haven't had a partner since then. And that was it. It was literally like a, yeah, like maybe a 45 second conversation. We're like, good. Okay. Back to taking our clothes off and (laughs) being inside of each other. So like, you know, and sometimes it's like, it's a continuing conversation like throughout the sex that's why like I just we need to expand our thinking around like what sex is like I don't think that sex is just penetration I don't think Mm -hmm. that sex is just intercourse or even oral or anything like that I think it's in the making out I think it's in the conversation I think it's I think sexting is sex you know (laughs) like yes I think it's great it's fucking fantastic (laughs) I read your article on this not to be like I internet stalked you but I just I love it (laughs) um I read your article on this and I I don't know how much of sex essentials you've listened to but like I Mm -hmm. have a like the amount of so I (laughs) I had a stint, I won't go into this, I promise, but I had a stint <laughs> of um, anonymously uh, like having like internet sex capades for like three years where like I was nice. in an open relationship <laughs> and I was like anonymously sexting people like all over the world pretty much constantly and I learned a ton about myself. Oh, wow. Uh, like, yeah. It, like, yeah, and su- again, super not so my face was never um like tied to it. I never used my real name. Like mm-hmm. no one ever knew where I was. I used kick, throwback to kick. Um oh, yes, kick. <laughs> and I had a really hard time thinking about where that landed in my sexuality. And when you I read your spectrum article and you referred to sexting as sex, I was like, this is so validating. This is such a validating moment for me because like the the people that I sexted with, especially the people that I sexted with several times over the course of months like those were sex partners to me yeah and I valued that relationship um but it was sort of like if you tell people who aren't in sort of like the sex positive or sex friendly community they're like what like what yeah. is that <laughs> um that's just totally that's not real <laughs> like blah 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 yeah it's crazy how people weaponize yeah. you know sex Pretty yeah. much. Because, you know, in another context, it's definitely sexual. I mentioned this in the article as well, but like yeah, yeah. for any people who want to rebut this while we're speaking, um, you know, think about it as you know, there are sex workers who do sexting as a specialty. There are sex workers who have sexting as, you know, something that is on the menu, so to speak, of what they do. That's because that shit gets people off. I've come so hard from sexting with people. Like it's like more so than, than in person sometimes. And people just like want to invalidate that because you're not, you know, next to that person or whatever. And I'm like, what about Skype sex? What about, you know, like, as we know, living through a fucking pandemic, Zoom sex, we've all been there. (laughs) (laughs) 
The sky is falling down. Yes. Ah! <laughs> it's sex. I promise. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, to another point, you know, we think of sexting uh, to people who, you know, may not think of sexting as sex. I'm like, you know, if that is coming at you in a non-consensual way, you feel sexually violated because it yes. is 100 percent. Like if it is non-consensual, that is asexual, that is sexual violence, that is sexual assault. You can sue somebody for that. You can go after somebody for that. Like it's manipulative and it's hurtful because it is sex. It's not just words on a screen. Like it is making you feel things. You are probably doing things to yourself. And, you know, if people use that uh, to take advantage of you or use it to take advantage of someone else, that is 100% a sex crime. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, why totally. do we consider it – why do we consider sexting this bad – that like, sex if it's, you know, used as something to punish people, but when it is used to soothe people, when people want to, you know, validate themselves and their desires – through sexting and it's it may, it may be the only way that they feel safe doing so like as long as it's two consenting adults which again is weird and you can kind of never really confirm 100 yeah. um but sometimes that's part of the allure you know um but as long as it's adults doing what adults want to do it doesn't matter if it takes place on a screen in a dungeon it doesn't matter if it's you know in person or you're fucking light years away from people like it's it's still sex it's still fantasy it still has all of the elements you know like come on y'all I know I this is this is a thing and I um you know I've touched in other episodes on like the ideas of outer course and other course which are like kind of crappy terms but terms that I teach the the middle schoolers and high schoolers that I work with where it's like bless you yeah yeah, I'm very lucky I don't work in schools. So like I, I do a community program that's like super, super comprehensive and inclusive. And it's sort of like a mm-hmm. you don't have to put stuff inside you or your mouth or your butt or anything if you mm-hmm. don't want to, because like there are other options that are sex that like you can validate your sexual experience without putting stuff inside you that you don't want to yet or like whatever that looks like for you. You know, like there are mm-hmm. options dry humping a plus cannot recommend enough try that you know what i mean like you don't have to immediately yeah you know like anyway that's a whole other spiel i could talk about i love a good dry hump as well yeah making out dry humping gets me there yeah 100 (laughs) percent. i again like i i'm constantly not not penetrating you know what i mean like i'm constantly not penetrating because there's so many other fun things to do that are sexual and Mm -hmm. uh, can achieve orgasm uh, for all parties so anyway uh (laughs) just an aside um so you have um already hosted several workshops that kind of center around this idea of um of bisexuality uh predominantly I think for for femme identifying folks but you can correct me if I'm wrong um I'd love to just kind of hear a little bit about some of the workshops you've done um and some of the workshops that you're you're planning to do around this topic yeah so um we are recording this at the end of March, so it has mm-hmm. been Bisexual Health Awareness Month, if y'all didn't know. Um, so I just wanted to do some workshops surrounding that um, just to take the opportunity of like using timing with me to get some resources out that I had been mulling over in my head for a while. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I did a bi plus 101 workshop where we explored bisexuality and pansexuality, the nuances and difference between um, the two terms, and just really uh, making clear like the language that you can use if you feel inclined to do that and to, Mm -hmm. you know, label yourself um, and, you know, why that's important for some people. And it was really, really great. Had a great conversation. It was like two and a half hours. <laughs> so I'm going to do yeah. another iteration probably in the next month or so <laughs> that will be cut down definitely for the community to access. So definitely look forward to that coming from me if y'all follow me on whatever notes you give out, M. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also did a Bi Girl's Guide to Going Down which was an emphasis on uh, blowjobs 101 and kind of lingus 101. So we basically put the two together. I go over a lot of like anatomy and physiology Mm. just so you kind of have that background if you don't know what any of the parts are and the specific parts of each person's parts and whatnot. Um, There are so many parts, to be fair. So many parts. (laughs) Um, It's overwhelming sometimes. Um, but we had that and that was fantastic. Um, I go over some like tips and techniques, you know, trying to like, I'm just recalling because this was like last week, like, you know, like fake jerk off a giant dick on, on zoom with a bunch of strangers. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Great always for technique. Yeah. Uh, always fun. <laughs> and I'm just like, do I actually put this in my mouth? Is this obscene? Is this like cam girl yeah. like area that Who's I'm logging on for the wrong reason? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I assume everyone's vetted, but you know, I'm just kind of like, Oh, is this like kind of weird for people? Yeah. Um, but I did buy girls guide to going down. And also there was a getting by uh, sexual confidence for the woman loving woman in you or vulva mm-hmm. loving vulva in you. Um, and that one was really interesting just because a lot of people, um, what makes my workshops fun is I always kind of try to not just talk ad nauseum. Like I really like engaging with people, whether it's on my podcast or, um, you know, in spaces that I facilitate. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to say my spiel. And then like, I want to hear from y'all. Like, what are your qualms that you're having? What are some things that you've run into in your own sexuality? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, tell me about what you're going through because then I get to learn as well. Uh, while I'm teaching. So Mm. we had some really good like points made during that conversation. It was really more of like a open um, facilitation about like how to approach women and vulva owners as a vulva owner. And I got a lot of um, by curious and kind of uh, newly queer or newly bi um, women and vulva owners. And I got a Mm. lot of DMs after that. Like, thank you so much. I couldn't stay the whole time. When is the next one going to be? The sexual confidence workshop uh, mostly just kind of validated the work that I'm doing. Um, I'm doing basically a group coaching program that will be surrounding that for bi and pan uh, women and femmes. So um, it's going to be kind of like a three-month space where we dive into these um these nuances and these spaces where we feel invalidated just by, you know, the world at large and sometimes ourselves or our partners or people we surround ourselves with and people we're in community with um, just aren't validating of bisexuality. And sometimes it's not explicit, but, you know, um, 
you don't want to have to imply your sexuality for the rest of your life. Like that's a hard yeah. life to live. <laughs> if I've been yeah, there. For sure. So um yeah. So hopefully it will be a space where I can teach and learn as much as I teach and just be in community with um other women in Volvo owners who were in the same space that I was like not too long ago. And so that we can just kind of support each other because the fact that people keep showing up to these spaces that people, you know, I have, I don't have a problem filling a workshop about these topics. The fact that, you know, I used to facilitate a clubhouse room that was called um, the Bicurious Corner. And mm. that was for, you know, any identity could come in and talk about their queer curiosity and questions and anything. And, you that. know, I'd be educating straight folks as well as LGBTQ folks. And, you know, we had a lot of like gay, uh, like exclusively gay <laughs> people who would come to the room and, you know, talk about their experiences. And it kind of helped me find more similarities and commonalities mm. with people across the LGBTQ spectrum than there were differences in for bisexuals, which, of course, we feel that yeah. from the LGBT community as well as those outside of that community, you know, um, some exclusion and bi erasure. <laughs> so, um, you know, the biphobia, the bi erasure is real. Um, you can get rid of it, but it takes a lot of unlearning. And I think a lot of my process in doing that came from, you know, facilitating that space for a few months, uh, finding community in that space, um, answering questions that I'd never got to ask before, mm. um, you know, about a year ago. And then that led to, of course, my podcast, um, getting deeper into questions specifically aimed at women, femmes, and vulva owners. Um, and I just think it's going to be going to be great. It's going to be a good time. Those sound super interesting. Um, I know a lot of that is listed on your website, but could you let the audience know kind of when uh, your next workshop or workshops um, are happening, kind of how people can register? Yeah, definitely. So the BiPlus 101 and sexual confidence for the vulva loving vulva in you, uh, those should be taking place in April, but definitely sign up for my newsletter. That's at arielleantwine.com and that's A-R-I-E-L-L-E-A-N-T-W-I-N-E dot com. Um, that's where you'll find all the goodies and you can find the actual application which is a whole three questions um, <laughs> at uh, for the getting by uh, group coaching experience. And again, that's going to be a 12 week coaching intensive. We're going to do weekly um, workshops, kind of like the spaces I've facilitated before with uh, the by curious corner that was formerly on clubhouse and uh, some of these other bi centered workshops that I've done um, more recently, but it's going to be getting more into personal work. I'm going to be bringing in some group, uh, some help with uh, guest facilitators. And I'm also going to be getting more into uh, the sex educator side with some very queer focused, like queer sex 101. So this truly is a space like just for, you know, baby buys. If you are a learned queer person, that's probably <laughs> not for you. You know, that's good. We got you on our side already. <laughs> but, you know, if you are wavering or if it's something that you've wanted to explore in a safe space, you know, in a space where your visibility in your queerness and showing up in it maybe new, but it won't be like used against you in any sort of way, of course, like 
definitely come, definitely join, contribute to the conversation because you will get something from it um, beyond, you know, affirming your sexuality, I think. I think it's going to be really fucking fantastic. And I want, like, a really cool group of of people for this first, you know, co- cohort and everything. So yeah, you can apply at my website. That's arielantoine.com slash coaching. Or you can go to sensueleducation.com and that takes you straight to the application. So that is sensuel, like the French word for sensual because I'm bougie like that. Um, <laughs> education. That's also my handle on Instagram. So I'll spell mm-hmm. that for y'all. S-E-N-S-U-E-L-L-E. E-D-U-C-A-T-I-O-N dot com. Beautiful. And all of that will be linked uh, below. So if you're on Spotify or Apple or wherever the hell you're listening, um, check out the podcast description and I will link to Ari's Instagram website application. Uh, I think you even have a, a discount code lingering down there as well, Ari, yes, if that's I do. correct. So check all of that out. Um Ari, it's been amazing to finally get to chat with you. I love the work you're doing. I know this particular topic of, um, you know, bisexuality plus like confidence and conversation and community, all of that. I mean, wow. It's super needed. It's super fun, super cool. I hope you get the dream cohort that you so desire. Listeners, register. Um, And uh, I'll catch you next time, Ari. Thanks for joining. Thanks. Listen to the Sensual Podcast. Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Insert DJ noises. (laughs) Edit note confirmed.